Hi. Today, I'd like to talk to you about some notable aspects of Python that you'll encounter in the 601 software, as well as in the general sense when working with Python. A lot of these little tidbits of uh, Python have some interesting history associated with them, especially uh, related to the history of computer science. And also, I want to indicate some things that tend to mess up, especially first-time programmers, but especially people, also especially people that are new to Python. Um, first, I'd like to bring us back to last week. We were talking about object-oriented uh, programming and inheritance. Object-oriented programming is a programming paradigm. It's you know in the same category as imperative programming or functional programming. And you might say, I have a good sense of the fact that in object-oriented programming, everything is an object, but I don't really have a good sense of what constitutes imperative programming or functional programming. I'm going to focus on functional programming right now because it has more of a historic root in uh, the academic development of computer science. Functional programming is like object-oriented programming in that everything is a function. Uh, it refers to the idea that you want to write as much of your code as possible in a purely functional manner. And in particular, you're looking for uh, the ability to avoid things like side effects or um, enable many different kinds of evaluation. Uh, those kinds of things are not the subject of this course, but I think they're you know, worth noting to figure out you know, why we're bothering learning about things like lambdas and list comprehensions in the first place. Um, Speaking of which, uh, the first thing we need to talk about before we even talk about things like lambdas and list comprehensions are, is the concept that in Python, everything is an object. But because functions are first class objects, we can also treat Python to a large extent like a functional programming language. What do I mean when I say functions are first class objects? I mean that a function can be uh, the return value of another function. I mean that a function can be passed in as an argument to a function. And I mean that functions can be assigned uh, variable names and manipulated the same way that we manipulate any other piece of data structure. This is important because if you want higher order functions or functions that actually modify or use other functions as a part of you know, whatever it is that they do, then you need to be able to interact with a function like it's any other object, in part you know, pass it in or return it out. Uh, let's look at an example. So let's say I start off with a very basic function, right? Uh, if you want to square some sort of value, probably a numeric in this case, uh, then all you have to do is multiply it by itself. Uh, pretty simple, good place to start. As a consequence of the idea that functions are first class objects, I can write a function that takes in a function as an argument and then develops a return function that uses the function that I passed in on itself. So any arguments that I would pass to some function, I would pass into some function, take the return value of this function call, and then pass that into some function again. That's what return function does. And down here, I return return function. Note that the object type of this return value is a function. So once I have return function, I can actually pass it arguments, have them run through some function, not once, but twice, and then get out a value that's of the return type of some function. Note that I made some assumptions while writing this function. <laughs> First, I've assumed that uh, some function returns out the same number of arguments and all, either, either accept an arbitrary number of arguments or accepts the same number of arguments as it puts out. 
the other assumption that I've made is that the type of the data type that some function returns is the same as the data type that some function accepts. Or, um, or, the, or the things that some function does to its arguments uh, can be done to multiple kinds of arguments. But that's a whole different argument. Right now, we're just focusing on the fact that uh, we pass in you know, some arbitrary number of arguments, call some function on it, call some function again on the return value of this, and return that as something you can do to whatever it is some function operates on. OK, let's review an example, because I promise it will be more clear. Let's say f is going to be the composition of square on itself. If I do that, I end up with a function that operates on an arbitrary number of arguments. That's not true. I end up with a copy of square that takes in the same number of arguments as square called on itself. So here square is substituted for some function. Here square is called on that call of square. And here is what f is assigned to. So when I call f of 2, I'm going to substitute 2 in for args. I'm going to call square on args. If I call square on args, I get out 4. And if I call square on args again, or if I call square on args where args is defined as the return value of this, then I'm going to call square on 4. I'll square 4, and I'll get 16. Take a second to type it into idle and make it make sense to yourself. All of this code should compile. Um, you know, mess around with the parameters if you're having trouble convincing yourself that it does. OK. Now I think we're ready to talk about lambdas. If you can pass in functions as arguments or uh, return them as values or assign them to variable names and just treat them like any other data type, then you should be able to treat them as some sort of raw value, right? And that's where lambdas come in. Lambdas are, lambda is a keyword in Python that tells you you're about to use a function that you have not given any sort of name um, or defined in any place in your code or environment beforehand. You're just going to start talking about something that you would like to do to a given number of arguments and then what you want to return out. Lambda has uh, roots in lambda calculus, uh, which if you're familiar with the history of computer science, you've probably heard of. Uh, now might be a good time to look up lambda calculus if you've never heard it before, or possibly um, Alonzo Church. But uh, it's still available in code today, which is really cool. Um, and you know, speaks to the continuing power, or at least recognition of uh, importance of functional programming. As I said before, the idea with lambda is that you can write an anonymous function. Over here, in order to write a function that's squared, I had to you know, write out a defined line. And because Python uses indentation, uh, because in Python, indentation carries meaning, I'd have to enter and you know, return over to a next line. Um, I'm actually not sure if that's strictly true. I think you can do def square x, return x, but I'm not positive. I've only seen it written like this, and I think it's because, uh, in the general sense, people try to respect things like convention and readability in Python. 
if you're using Lambda, people already know that you want to describe a function really quickly, or you want to describe a function without assigning it a name. Uh, therefore, the two most common uses you'll see of Lambda is when you want a really fast function and you don't want to spend extra time or lines writing out that function, right? It's pretty clear what this is going to do. Or if, in the particular sense, you need an anonymous function. You don't want to assign a name or like memory space associated with that function. Note that instead of using square, I can just write out this. So I save two lines of code defining square, and then I don't have to refer back to some earlier part of the code in order to understand what this line does. Pretty cool. All right. So there's functions as first class objects. There's lambda. Let's talk about how to use lambdas on lists. In Python, you'll end up doing a lot of list manipulation. One of the best uses of anonymized functions in any functional programming language is the ability to manipulate lists in line. If I've defined just a pretty straightforward list right here. I can use functions like map, filter, and reduce to, in one line, take a list, apply a function to every element in that list, and then return a copy of the result of that list. I didn't write a, have to write a separate function to do the list handling. I didn't have to write a separate function to multiply the list by two. And I've communicated what I'm doing effectively to people that are used to functional programming. So if you type this line in, you should end up with uh, a, a return in interactive mode of every element in this list multiplied by two. Now's a good time to try. Once you've done that, I also recommend looking at the original copy demo list. Note that this is unaltered. Map actually returned a new data structure that represents performing this function on this list. This becomes important later when I explain aliasing, but I will do that in about two minutes. If we want to get even more elegant, we can use list comprehensions. List comprehensions, if you ask somebody where list comprehensions are from, they'll probably say Haskell, because that is the most popular uh, use of list comprehensions in terms of like pure, lazy functional programming. Um, but it actually uh, you know, goes back further than that and is in small talk and then uh, something from the 60s. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, they're really nice because they borrow They borrow, uh, you know, syntactic. They borrow syntactic approach from mathematicians. Um, this looks a lot like set notation. And when you read this, you can probably tell that the list list comprehension is going to describe a set of points from one to four. But you accomplish that in possibly one line of code. I've written, I've written it on three here because I wanted to keep it in this space. But it's really concise, right? 
if you type this into idle, you should see the kind of list that it returns. And also what list comprehension is now, uh, what, what now constitutes list comprehension? You can use list comprehensions with functions like map and filter and reduce. And it, along with anonymized functions, all of these tools provide you with a lot of functionality in a very short amount of space. It's also good to be able to recognize what's going on when you see something like this or something like this. Because you'll probably run into it in, in particular, a lot of Lisp, Lisp code, but also uh, in the artificial intelligence community in particular. Okay. We talked about all that. <laughs> Let's take a second to talk about the fact that lists are actually mutable and what that means and what things you have to be careful about if you're going to be working with mutable objects. If you're new to programming or you're new to Python, you've probably already worked with some of these data types, right? Any numbers, any strings, any tuples are going to be immutable. What that means is if you, if you have a variable and you have a second variable that has a different assignment line associated with it, right? I haven't assigned g to h here. I've just assigned g to hello and h to hello. If you, look at the, uh, if you look at the space in memory that Python associates with both objects, they point to the same place. This is the definition of an immutable object. When g points to hello and h points to hello, they both point to the same place. If uh, x points to 5 and y points to 5, they're both pointing to the same place. If you point x at 6, it now points to a different memory address. This gets confounded when you're talking about mutable objects. The problem with mutable objects is that you select a memory space to contain the object, or memory ID in Python to contain the object, and then that object is changed in place. You can use this to your advantage, but it can also mess with you, and here's how. Let's say I assigned uh, you know, A to a small list, and I also assigned B to A. B and A now point at the same place. If I manipulate B, and I'm, excuse me, still working with an immutable object, or excuse me, if I'm still working with a mutable object, the object in that memory address has been altered, and B and A still point to the same place in memory. So if I look at A, it's going to look like B, which is going to look like 1, 2, 3, 4, which is not what I assigned A to originally. Again, can be powerful, but you have to keep it in mind, and it might start to mess with, in particular, the 601 software uh, when you're dealing with state machines. In order to get around this, you can create a copy of the list and then mo modify the copy. This is actually what map does. If you want to do it, the easiest way to do it on the first layer is to specify the index into the list with no bounds. It'll copy the whole thing. There's also a Python library uh, copy or deep copy if you want to copy lists of lists of lists of lists of lists. Um, and just to clarify, you'll note that after you assign C to a copy of A, C and A occupy different memory places. So if you modify C, 
A will retain its original value. I think that's all the notable things I have to say about Python and gives us enough power to do some really powerful uh, list manipulation or array manipulation uh, and covers what we want to say about functional programming before we get into the notion of state, which I'll talk about next time. <laughs>